Welcome to the Compass Catholic Changemaker podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kano. On this podcast, we talk about how to live with our money as Catholics. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Compass Catholic Changemaker podcast. This week's episode is a conversation I had with Kevin Lowry. Kevin is a convert to Catholicism and the son of a former Presbyterian minister. Kevin and his wife, Kathy, have eight children and live in the Columbus, Ohio area. His first book entitled Faith at Work, Finding Purpose Beyond the Paycheck was published by our Sunday Visitor. It's about integrating faith, family, and work and discovering new purpose by striving for holiness through the everyday situations we experience in the workplace. Kevin's newest book, How God Hauled Me Kicking and Screaming into the Catholic Church, is also published by OSV and is now available. Well, welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thanks so much. Go ahead to be here. History for our listeners. I was doing some Googling for Twitter posts or social media posts, and I happened to come across an article that you wrote. So of course, I have to Google your name because that's what I do, and found this wealth of stuff that you have brought to our world in terms of um, literature and, and books and, and materials and stuff that you've written. And I had no idea how many commonalities we had between our interests. So I reached out to you and you were kind enough to say yes to come on the podcast. So for our guests um, who aren't familiar, you have the book, um, How God Called Me Kicking and Screaming into the Catholic Church. And you have another book from about nine years ago called Faith at Work. Um, That's right. Finding purpose beyond the paycheck. Oh, I love it. I love those topics. And that one spoke to me, especially because it's a topic we cover in our study. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit, um, starting with your most recent release, How God Called Me Kicking and Screaming. Can you tell us kind of that story? Because I love that title. It's a very visceral title. Um, and, and I want to hear your, your story on that one. Well, it was a very visceral journey <laughs> because... <laughs> Okay, so let me, I'll sort of do the the Reader's Digest version of this. Um, I I was uh, born in Canada. I'm from Southern Ontario, near a small town near Toronto. And I have a friend who told me that uh, I did a great job picking my parents. And I think that's completely true because I just, I have the most wonderful mom and dad. Uh, They're still alive. They're in their 80s now. But uh, my dad was... Uh, uh, a, a guy who came from sort of a relatively poor family, got an undergraduate degree in history, first graduate degree in theology and became an ordained Presbyterian minister. And uh, he and my mom were missionaries in Nigeria. Uh, my mom's one of the most enthusiastic, wonderful people you'd ever care to meet. And while they were over there, my dad sort of got an interest in uh, international uh, economic development. So logically went and got a PhD from MIT in business um, after that. So uh, then he went into uh, both, uh, he he was a professor when I was a little kid and taught an international MBA program and then was in full-time ministry for a long time. Um, So, uh, and, and I think I was engineered to help them along in holiness and uh, because I was a very, very bad, rebellious teenager. And so when I, I, I graduated from school early uh, and was ready to go to college when I was 16 years old, and my dad read a Catholic magazine as it happened 
called New Covenant that was published by Our Sunday Visitor, which of course I love because I'm on their board now. And I'm very grateful to them because it had this article about this little Catholic college called Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And my dad said, how would you like to go down there and check this place out? And I said, okay, hang on. Let me think about this for half a second. You want me to potentially go to a different country, seven hours away from you and mom, go to college there, and I get to take a few days off school to go and check it out. I said, yes, let's go. You know, so I went down to little Franciscan University, and this is a long time ago. You know, I'm not going to date myself, but it, it was a really long time ago. And uh, I discovered that they had these really uh, cool fraternities and that American beer was very inexpensive. So you combine those two elements. And uh, I, I met a bunch of guys who were teaks, you know, TKE, talk Cap Epsilon. They took, took me out, got me. Well, we had, we had a very good time. And um, I decided that this was the greatest place on earth. And that's exactly where I wanted to go to school. So I did. I enrolled at, at the ripe old age of 16. And in the first year uh, at Franciscan University, I managed to win the billiard championship. But pretty much I didn't do anything else of any consequence. Um, they had these arbitrary, or at least I thought, arbitrary rules about attending classes and all this other crazy stuff. So by my third semester, before I even hit my 18th birthday, I got kicked out. So I had to go back up to Canada and I, I worked for Sony of Canada and had a, just a great experience there. Um, but uh, then decided that I needed to, to finish college. And wouldn't you know it, the only place on the planet that would take me was Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, because my grades were so bad that I couldn't transfer any place. So I went back to Franciscan U uh, as a now, a, a, you know, a, a ripe uh, old 21-year-old. And the second time around, a couple things happened. Number one, I met the cutest American girl I've ever seen in my life. And she gave me lots of motivation, you know, to do really well. And of course, the second time around, I had a work ethic. So, you know, I worked really, really hard. And, uh, but I had to take Catholic theology courses. And this was not something I was happy about. Um, I, I had to take this one course that was in ethics. And I thought, you know, ethics, that's, that's pretty tame, right? That's, there's no problem with that. And it turned out that it was a semester long study in Humanae Vitae, uh, the encyclical that, that was written by, um, by uh, uh, who was it? Pope, uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking on it now. But anyway, it, it, Pope Paul VI, sorry. And basically, this was something that my also, by the way, non-Catholic girlfriend and I uh, just thought it was crazy because we thought it was a complete non-issue. But we went through the class together and then we had to take other Catholic theology courses as well. So we both went from sort of a position of saying this, you, you people are nuts. You know, why are we even talking about these types of subjects to, wow, that's kind of interesting to, boy, they've really got a lot of good points. Um, and in the, the final, my uh, final year at, at Franciscan, my dad came down and was a visiting professor. And I think he was able to sort of reconcile some of his views as well, because 
he was a Presbyterian minister, but he was also the, the clerk of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. So he had a very visible role. Mm -hmm. And through a guy named Scott Hahn, um, who released a tape back, see a tape, now I'm dating myself. Yeah. Right? He, he released a tape called Protestant Minister Becomes Catholic. And he, uh, uh, my dad and I listened to this tape together. And, you know, I'll never forget my dad saying, you know, I can't really argue with anything this guy's saying. And around the same time, uh, this is, I mean, this is sort of mind blowing when you look at it in retrospect, you know, but my dad was invited by Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, to visit the Vatican because he had, the, he had created this, what was called the Find It Catholic Bible. And it had 12 different translations of the Bible and it was on a CD-ROM and you could search it. And this was very early in search technology. So this was kind of innovative at the time. So my dad, the Presbyterian minister, flies over to the Vatican, spends a week, meets, has a private audience with, with St. John Paul II, and uh, comes back and is just blown away by the experience, you know? And he, he told me that, first of all, it was like meeting an old friend when he met the Pope. And he ended up writing an article about this in the Presbyterian Record, which was the denominational magazine. Um, in Canada, and it came out with, with his picture on the front cover, shaking hands with the Pope. And all hell broke loose, because there were people who were actually demanding that he be brought up on heresy trials and being thrown out of the church, because didn't Dr. Lowry know that the Pope was the Antichrist, and things of that nature. And then there were also lots of people who were very supportive and saying, this is wonderful, it's ecumenical, thank you, you know, this is great. So through all that, that was enough that, you know, there was sort of this confluence of circumstances where my wife and I got married. We started having kids, you know, uh, right away. And uh, we started church shopping because we thought, well, we need to take this seriously. And, and we weren't completely sold on the Catholic church yet. But, you know, we spent a bunch of time going around to different places and incidentally hearing about their takes on everything. You know, it wasn't just things like birth control. It was always things, it, also things like money, you know, and how to handle money and, and how you think about that sort of thing. And I started working in a CPA firm right out of college because my undergraduate degree is in accounting. And uh, so, you know, the, the whole thing sort of came about together where all of a sudden this was super relevant because we were young married people. We started having kids very quickly. Uh, our first three were in two years and eight months. And then we had another one very soon after that. And we eventually, you know, now we have eight. Um, but uh, my wife, we decided was going to stay home and not work from the beginning, which really she couldn't after the first three anyway, you know? And uh, so it, it, it sort of brought us to a place where we said, you know what, we're going to look into the Catholic church after all. And uh, so I, I actually called Scott um, and he, we ended up meeting him for, for mass one day and sort of going in. And I, I think I had gone to mass twice in my entire time at Franciscan U. So I had really largely dodged it, but, but we went to mass with he and his family and they were so gracious. Uh, but Scott gave me a rosary uh, in, when, when we met that one time and after I started praying the rosary, it was just like somebody flipped a light switch. 
it was just so incredible that I had gone through almost like a 10 year journey where I thought the Catholics were crazy. And I gave my Catholic friends a hard time and everything to the point where I wanted nothing more than to come into the church to receive, you know, to be able to receive the Eucharist um, and, and to be fully Catholic. And that was almost 30 years ago. And I, I have to tell you, it's been the greatest ride. I love being Catholic. It just gives such a, a beautiful context to everything. So it's become the, the, the bedrock of, you know, what's really a wonderful marriage. And, you know, I have such an awesome wife and I'm still crazy about her after all these years. And it's been the bedrock of what has been a really wonderful uh, and rewarding career in, in finance. Um, and, and it's the context for everything, you know? So uh, that's, that's sort of the short version, believe it or not, of uh, how God hauled me kicking and screaming into the Catholic church. Unfortunately, the title is a little bit too accurate, but, uh, but it also goes to the other piece, which was the, the faith at work, because, you know, having a dad who was both a minister with a PhD in business really leads to some very interesting dinner table conversations. So this is something that was always kind of within me is how do you apply? How do you live the faith in very practical terms? you know, in all aspects of life. So the, our, our courses at Franciscan said, well, you know, even when it comes to things like sex, there's a, there's a good way to think about this, you know? And when it comes to business, there's a good way to think about this where faith and business are very much intertwined. And of course, I believe when it comes to faith and money, the same thing is true. So that was, that was a long answer to a very quick question. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. And yeah, I, I think it's so important. I, what I find interesting is myself being a cradle Catholic, we did not receive this information growing up. And so there's a lot of times where there's a lot of confusion, even those who grew up in the church as to what the church's teachings are and why they're good and mm -hmm. why, how your life actually gets easier when you start implementing these, these, you know, things that are good for us. So I think it's so beautiful when someone comes in who has a different perspective and explains to us cradle Catholics what, <laughs> what we should have learned as children. So I just think that's beautiful. Um, and your book that was written, I believe, in, published in 2011, which is um, Faith at Work, Finding Purpose Beyond Paycheck. I'm wondering if you can tell us the story about how you really became interested in that subject of faith at work. You had mentioned your father and, and what he kind of um, and brought you up believing in, in all of his expertise. What was the, the breaking point where you realized this needed to be put into book form for sure. fellow Catholics to understand? Sure. Well, you know, first of all, the, the book is a lot of stories primarily because the, the good part about having a, a you know, a long career in finance or any other demanding career like that is that you make a lot of mistakes and you see a lot of crazy situations, you know, and you learn from those. So in, in my case, it started, it germinated with, with my dad. And I, I uh, told him that I, I gratefully uh, ripped off a lot of his ways of thinking about this. And then, uh, you know, I was in a, C, a large CPA firm for many years. Uh, I, I was then in a private industry. I was the VP of finance of, of a large company and, and then was uh, a senior VP with 
operations responsibility and just saw lots of stuff, you know, saw lots of difficulties. There were, uh, there was, there was one situation that, uh, uh, you know, that where the, there was a big sort of almost a war uh, within the shareholder group of one of the companies that I was with at one point that was very, it was just very difficult to, uh, uh, to navigate. But in all of those things, you learn a lot, right? So what I decided to do was take a little bit of a mid-career break. And I had been on the board of this wonderful apostolate called uh, the Coming Home Network which is uh, founded by a guy named Marcus Grodi, who has a very popular uh, TV program on EWTN called The Journey Home. And Marcus has always been sort of the older brother I never had. You know, he's just, he's a great guy. And um, so I had been on his board. I had been the treasurer for a long time, but I decided that I was going to go and work for him full time. And I was his, his chief operating officer for a while. And part of the impetus there too was to be able to be more reflective in in you know uh, in an within the context of an apostolate, so that I could do some bucket list things like write my first book. So mm-hmm. that's when I seized the opportunity and said, you know, I want to be able to. Now I had you know what twenty years or so experience at that point, and I said I want to be able to capture this in a way that's very practical and accessible. So that people can recognize it's not like you have to take, you know, bring a catechism in one hand and a, and a, and a, a Bible in the other hand and smack people upside the head in the office to accomplish, you know, to really live it in, in a way that's healthy and good and attractive, you know, because what is it that attracts people? It's, it's, the, it's joy and it's love and it's really caring authentically about them. It's, it's not, you know, we, so that's why we don't want to lead with judgment because that's just never been a really good evangelistic sort of way to go about it. So I, you know, I, I decided to write the book and tell a lot of stories about the things that I had learned. And, uh, and, and some of these are very practical things, but they, I think that they resonate within, uh, you know, within the faith community because, it just helps us to understand, hopefully, in, in how we can affect and live our faith in small ways. And it doesn't always have to be sort of these grandiose big things. I love that. So like making it tactical and practical yeah. in terms of how do we live out our, our daily life? That's, that's amazing. And what was the feedback you received from the book? Were there people that, um, I'm curious, was there anyone that had any stories to share or any information that that was surprising to you as to how it impacted someone else who was able to read your book? Oh yeah. I remember one guy, I was at a Catholic men's conference a few years ago and, and uh, he came up to me and he said, thank you for writing that book. He said, mm-hmm. I've been away from the church for about 30 years. And I, I came back after reading it and I was just blown away because of course that's the work of the Holy spirit. Right. You know, our our job is to plant seeds and our job is is to love and, and to care about people and to do what's right and sometimes to do what's courageous, what's difficult. And, and you know, I mean, we have to do our best. But at the same time, conversion proper in a certain sense is beyond our control because it's really only the Holy Spirit who can penetrate hearts. You know, so I, I think that telling the stories somehow helps because I remember thinking I had this epiphany at one point when I was writing the book and I thought, you know what, Jesus 
told parables mm -hmm. and, and told these stories, I'm not going to improve on that. You know, that's really the way to hopefully get across some of some of the eternal truths that we know and that we've been really kind of gifted as Catholics, because we should have this insight, you know, that that uh, that goes beyond the moment. So if, you know, it, really, if we do it right, if we're better Catholics, it should help us to be better at work. And if we're better at work, conversely, it should help us to be better Catholics. Mm. I mean, they really go hand in hand. And I, you know, there are so many rich resources within the Catholic Church. For example, you know, I'm not a member, but I always love the the spirituality of Opus Dei and and uh, Saint Jose Maria Escriva, the founder, who is really high octane on this on this subject. It's all about sanctifying our daily work, and I think that there's a lot to love about how we look at it that way. But then there's a million practical ways that we can bring our faith to bear. Uh, on the workplace every day. And, you know, just, just one of them. I mean, I'm with a company now that uh, some of the executives get together on a regular basis and pray together. And we think that it's had a hugely beneficial impact on the company. So it's really been a blessing. Oh, that's amazing. And it's probably something I'm sure, cause we got to work every day, right? It's, it's, we can get in our habits, we can get in our routines. Um, I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners how you keep yourself challenged to integrate your faith and your work. Do you have any tips that you can give them to let this be a process of continual growth? Sure. I think personally, I believe that the most important thing is to have a good cadence of prayer in your life. And I, that's, that's something that's just, it's just foundational within our faith, really, you know, and of course, to me, the, the benefit of being Catholic now is, is the sacraments. But, you know, if you think about, well, but let's, let's go back a half step. The prayer life, I, I, the prayer life piece is something that is just utterly indispensable. And it really kind of doesn't matter where you are now. It's, you know, how can you, how can you take a step forward there? You know, so in, and now I'm, you know, I, I've been trying to practice this for many years, right? But in, in the morning, for example, on a good day, prayer is the first thing that happens. And then I'll jump out of bed, I'll go, you know, run on a treadmill or something like that. And I'm praying even when I'm on the treadmill. I always pray a rosary before I start my work day. I, um, you know, at, at noon, maybe I'll say an Angelus or something like that. I'm trying to memorize a new St. Joseph prayer, this Lent. And, and uh, you know, so th there's always ways to, to stretch. And then there's family prayers at night. And then there's prayers right before I go to sleep. And, you know, as I said, prayers with, uh, with others, with the, an executive team or a small group or how, whoever else. And then on, on uh, uh, of course, on Sundays going to mass, and then hopefully being able to get to mass more often than that. But it just, and of course, with COVID, that's uh, sort of messed that up. You know, there used to be adoration in there. But the thing, part of the point is, I mean, we have an embarrassment of riches as, as Catholics. We have so many tools in the toolbox that it's hard to sort of effectively utilize everything. So at least in my small mind, I try to just do some things and, and pray from the heart, you know, and just try to use these things faithfully. And so even going back to the workplace, you know, praying for people, 
offering masses for people, praying rosaries for people, uh, you know, uh, making sure that there's, uh, that when you're in difficult situations, that you're praying for the inspiration and, and for the wisdom, frankly, to be able to deal with particular situations, even dumb things like, you know, Lord, help me to figure out what to work on next when you've got a, a to-do list with 200 items on it. You know, it just mm-hmm. pray, pray over your workload, you know, help me to order things because the beauty of it is the Holy Spirit's able to order things in ways that we can't. And so just having that sort of continual conversation throughout the day, I, I just, I, it's hugely beneficial and hugely helpful. Oh, I think that's so important. And I think my, the last question I had for you, and um, I may have another question to after this, because there's so many interesting points you're bringing up, but um, I'm thinking of the, the, you know, young Catholic professional who has three, four or five kids and is in the building stages of their career, which is an exhausting time to be in. What do you think, what advice would you give that person in terms of seeing the forest through the trees, seeing their faith at work and seeing how they can make a difference? Because sometimes when you're just in the thick of it, it's really hard to see how it's impactful, how you can be impactful. You already gave some really good tips as to how to do it, but what would you advice would you give to that person? Cause you were that person. I was that person for many, many years. And yeah. I think that there are a couple things that were particularly helpful to me. Um, one is I love the sacrament of reconciliation. So anytime I get over my head, that's, that's very frequently a place that I'll go. The other is e- um, either spiritual direction, which I'm a huge fan of, um, or mentorship or both. You know, because if, and it it depends on sort of our, you know, who we can tap into our particular personal situation and circumstances and everything. But I've had, I've had the the blessing of having really good spiritual director here and there along the way. Unfortunately, not right at this present moment, but, you know, over the course of time, I've had the benefit of years of spiritual direction that was, that was just hugely helpful. But the other thing is having really good mentors and mentors who are faithful. They don't have to be perfect, you know, but they need to be striving certainly for that faithfulness. And I, I just think that those types of, of really good, healthy relationships help us to get out of our own heads a little bit. You know, it just gives us that objective perspective. And really what you're looking for is somebody who loves you enough to tell you when you're wrong. Because that takes a little bit of courage and it, it, it can be a li- just a little bit uncomfortable, but you know when it's done with love. I mean, you know, you just, you know, and you're willing to accept it. So when you have those types of relationships, I just think it's, it's really, uh, it, it can be such a, a big impetus to success because we all need that perspective, you know, and, and we just, as humans, we're just incapable of being objective about ourselves. <laughs> you know, so we need those other people in our lives. And, and Catholicism is a communal religion. It's not just about me and Jesus. You know, that's, that's not the way it's constructed and it shouldn't be. Universal in nature, right? Yeah. I'm also wondering at what point can someone feel like they themselves can be the mentor? When did you hit that transition point when you realized you could be the person to give that advice. And the moment I'm thinking of right now is um, last week, my husband and I were in, in mass 
and we look over and we see this other family, two boys and two girls like we have, and they were probably about 10 years behind us about like the, the oldest was maybe five and then going to, to a newborn. So like us 10 years ago, and it hit me how much growth we've had and that I'd like to help them in some way. So I'm wondering if you had that moment professionally that you realized you were to the point where you could be the, the mentor in that relationship. You know, in all humility, that still makes me tremble a little bit in, in, in that, you know, and, and actually humility is, I think, a, a very key attribute is that I have met people younger than me who have taught me an enormous amount. So I think that mentorship can, it's in, in some ways, it should be very intentional. And, you know, when are you qualified? Well, you know, it, it just depends. It depends on the circumstances. And it's sort of like being a CPA you know, if it would be unethical for me to do work, of which I really have no idea. I, you know, I was always on the audit side of, of the practice. I'm not a tax guy. So for me to go too far out and, and to try to do really complex taxes wouldn't be good, right? But if I know what I'm talking about and that person has a need in that area, then maybe it makes, it makes a lot more sense. So I think that we just need to approach it with a sense of docility and, and, and humility, because if we're ever asked to be in that type of relationship, we should pray about it. And we should have the other person pray about it too. And all of the mentorship relationships that I've been in, but on, on both sides, because I'm still on both sides of, of these types of things, you know, in, in my fifties, I think that it's just one of those things where it, it's, it, it's particular to that relationship. So, and how can we be, how can we be good mentors or mentees? I think it's all about, again, the prayer, the openness, the, the willingness to learn, the willingness to grow, the ability to hear things that aren't necessarily what we wanted to hear, you know? So there, there's just, I don't know, there's, it's not magic, but I think that it does involve grace for it to be really, really good. I love that. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. I feel like I need to have you on again because I've probably listed <laughs> 10 questions or so that, uh, that we can kind of go in different directions. But um, I just appreciate your time. It's, it's really been insightful. And I think it's important, especially for those, those young adults who are in the thick of it. I mean, just those, those days when you just can't catch your breath, let alone imagine sitting down to do a rosary, that there is the whole process is growth the entire time and having that growth mindset throughout the process is the key. Um, I agree. And you know what? I just, it's the only way that we really get there is we have to start small mm. baby steps. It's all about baby steps. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I do appreciate your time and, and um, we're going to put the links to your books in our show notes and then uh, some more information about you if people want to find you and, and contact and reach out. So we are just grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Changemaker podcast. If you liked it, and I pray you did, I ask you to subscribe and share it with a friend. I also ask that you go to compasscatholic.org and take action to start a Faith and Money Matters Bible study. You can take this study individually, with a small group, or you can bring the study to your parish. Be the change maker your parish needs.
Have a wonderful week and God bless.